Jeremiah chapter 10, verses 1 to 11. Hear what the Lord says to you, people of Israel. This is what the Lord says. Do not learn the ways of the nations or be terrified by the signs in the heavens, though the nations are terrified by them. For the practices of the peoples are worthless. They cut a tree out of the forest and a craftsman shapes it with a chisel. They adorn it with silver and gold. They fasten it with hammer and nails so that it will not totter. Like a scarecrow in a cucumber field, their idols cannot speak. They must be carried, because they cannot walk. Do not fear them. They can do no harm, nor can they do any good. No one is like you, Lord. You are great, and your name is mighty in power. Who should not fear you, King of the nations? This is your due. Among all the wise leaders of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is no one like you. They are senseless and foolish. They are taught by worthless wooden idols. Hammered silver is brought from Tarshish and gold from Uphaz. What the craftsmen and goldsmith have made is dressed in blue and purple, all made by skilled workers. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God, the eternal King. When he is angry, the earth trembles. The nations cannot endure his wrath. Tell them this. These gods, who did not make the heavens and the earth, will perish from the earth and from under the heavens. 1 John five eighteen to 21 We know that anyone born of God does not continue in sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God, and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come, and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Well, good morning. Um, Thanks very much, Mars, for reading and also for leading our prayers so helpfully linking your prayers with <clears throat> our message this morning. Um, I need a... Let me pray, let me pray. Dear Father God, we just thank you for your word, we thank you for this opportunity to meet with you Father and we pray that you will help us to be attentive to your word, <clears throat> help me to speak clearly And Father, we long that you would speak to us through your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, You may think I'm on the wrong side of 60. It's just not true. 
it's absolutely the right side. But on account of my age, society regards me as vulnerable. And one of the reasons, because I'm likely to have a diminished capacity to distinguish between what is true and what is false. So I'm told. Apparently fraudsters and scammers love people of my age. They believe that we hold the key to their prosperity. Over the past few weeks, I've received several emails from an organisation greeting me as one of their costumers. I'm never going to accept as genuine any amazing offers addressed to me as a costumer rather than a customer. Perhaps I am vulnerable to scams, but I'm not that vulnerable. But whilst fraud and scams via the internet and by phone is a relatively new phenomenon, as indeed is fake news, we've always had to contend with fraud and to guard ourselves against what is purported to be genuine, but is not. Those of you who have a a Rembrandt or a Monet, grace in your living room, will not have made the investment without first being satisfied by an expert's opinion. Likewise, you would not have bought a, a Rolex or even a Euro final ticket without evidence that it was the real thing. But the greatest lie that we're all exposed to is the lie that denies that God is true, the only true God. And the one who propagates that lie is Satan, described by Jesus as a murderer from the beginning, in whom there is no truth, for his language is that of lies. He is the father of lies. Satan is the great deceiver. We'll spend most of our time over the next 20 minutes or so in 1 John, um, where we will see that the word for true is used by the Apostle John as meaning genuine, authentic. However, however, we'll begin uh, by looking at the passage in Jeremiah. Jeremiah had the reputation of being a, a gloomy and downcast prophet. He had little cause to be encouraged or to be upbeat. His messages calling the people of Judah to repent of their idolatry did not gain him any popularity. He would certainly have got very discouraged, but he remained faithful to his calling as God's prophet for 40 years. So let's look at these uh, verses in chapter 10. I wonder how he actually presented the message. He certainly doesn't mince his words, does he? I guess he was mocking the people for their futility in turning to idols. What they were doing in having idols crafted was absolutely pointless. It had no value at all. It was vanity. We're told they used silver and gold to try and make their wooden creations more attractive. And doubtless they did. But they were still just useless idols. They had to be properly fastened to make sure they did not fall over. They had the appearance of a scarecrow. They were unable to speak or walk, but still, unbelievably, 
the people of Judah preferred to worship them than the true God. Jeremiah does point out one thing in their favour, a favour of the idols. There was no need to be afraid of them, for they couldn't harm you. But that was only because they were lifeless. They couldn't do anything of any good. And then in verse 6, Jeremiah speaks of the one whom they had discarded, the Lord. No one is like you, Lord. You are great and your name is mighty in power. Who should not fear you, king of the nations? This is your due. Among all the wise leaders of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is no one like you. And then in verse 10, Jeremiah declares, But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God, the eternal King. When he is angry, the earth trembles. The nations cannot endure his wrath. How tragic that the people of Judah could abandon the God who made the heavens and the earth who created them, who loved them and longed to be like a father to them. Instead, they chose to worship lifeless idols made by man. How tragic that 2,600 years later, people are making that same choice, not necessarily worshipping bits of wood, but nevertheless turning to idols rather than worshipping the true God. Let us move on 700 years from Jeremiah and consider what the Apostle John said about God being the true God. And that God is true is a key concept of John's writings. The word true appears 15 times in John's Gospel compared to just five times in the other three Gospels. And in most instances, he uses the word to mean genuine or the real thing. For example, he describes Jesus as the true light. He quotes Jesus declaring that he himself is the true bread and the true vine. And he quotes Jesus declaring his father as true. Jesus said, he who sent me is true. And this brings us to our passage in 1 John, in which the apostle again picks up this same theme of God being true, the only true God. But John's letter is in sharp contrast to the message in Jeremiah. John is not writing to those who have forsaken God, He's writing to those who believe in the true God. And his purpose is to assure them that they have eternal life. But just as there are false gods, so there are fake believers. And in verses 18 to 20, we have three marks of genuine believers. Verse 18 We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin, 
The one who is born of God keeps him safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. There clearly does not continue to sin, does not mean continue to sin. Well, sorry, it does not mean that once you become a Christian, you no longer commit any sin. It does not mean that you lose your entire capacity to sin. We might wish that to be true, but we know that it's not. But what it does mean is that we do not persist in the habit of sinning. The mark of a genuine child of God must be a change of behaviour. Sin and the true child of God are not compatible. As one commentator has expressed it, they may occasionally meet, they cannot live together in harmony. Sin and a child of God cannot live together in harmony. You'll know that uh, Apostle, the Apostle Paul had this struggle with sin in Romans chapter 7. He has no desire to sin. He wants to do what is good, but the sinful nature within him means that he finds himself doing what he really doesn't want to do. And like Paul, if we are a genuine child of God, we should hate sin and hate it when we sin against God. But we do have that wonderful promise in the first chapter of 1 John, that as we confess our sin, we are forgiven. But look at the promise in the second part of verse 18. The one who is born of God keeps the child of God safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. And the one who is born of God, um, the clue there is with the capital O, one, is Jesus. John tells us that Jesus keeps the believer safe from the evil one. In the Lord's Prayer, we pray for deliverance, that we might uh, be delivered from the evil one and from evil. As I was thinking about this verse, I was reminded of something I read a week ago, uh, the story of David, uh, not the biblical story of David. Uh, this David was an extreme Northern Ireland terrorist who became a Christian whilst in prison. After he was sentenced, his wife left him for another man, and he later learned that in a fit of anger, her new partner had hit David's five-year-old son and broken his nose. Although he had now encountered Christ and was a changed man, David vowed to kill the man when he got out. But he didn't have to wait until he was released. The opportunity came sooner. David could not believe his eyes when, a couple of years later, he saw the guy in the cell opposite him on his landing. The day came for David to carry out what he had promised he would do. He was waiting to get unlocked, trying to work up the rage which he needed to be able to kill the guy. But the rage and the anger and the longing to kill him were just not coming. And David sensed God speaking to him, David, forgive him. And David agreed that he would after he'd killed him. God persisted, causing David to blurt out, 
look what he did to my son. And God replied, yes. And what did they do to my son? David wept. Later he went out into the yard and saw the guy standing there, absolutely petrified. David told him that he had forgiven him. And the following day, David was reflecting on what had happened and realised that God had removed the evil from him. The thought went through his mind, I am a different person. I really am a Christian. I really am a Christian. But it was not his doing, it was God or Jesus who had kept him safe from the evil one. Needless to say, few will encounter anything as dramatic as that. But it must be a mark of all who would claim to be a child of God that we lose our desire to continue in sin. We have a part to play ourselves as we long to live to please God, but this verse tells us that we can rely on Jesus to help keep us safe so that the evil one does not harm us. Moving on to the second mark of the genuine child of God uh, in verse 19. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Children of God know that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. The words I've used on the slide, which will come up in a moment, I think, the genuine child of God recognises the evil one's hold on the world. There are two distinct kingdoms in the world. Those who have submitted to God's rule belong to his kingdom. But every person who has not submitted to God's rule belongs to the kingdom which is under the control of the evil one. It's very clear-cut. There's no middle ground. People are either in God's kingdom where they're kept safe from, the, from Satan, or they're, under, or they're in the world under Satan's authority. The third mark of the genuine child of God is the most crucial. It underpins the first two. We find it in verse 20. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. The genuine child of God belongs to the Son, Jesus Christ. The verse tells us that the Son of God, Jesus, came into the world to help us to understand about God who is true. The verse says that we are in God who is real by being in his son, Jesus Christ. And that reflects exactly what Jesus himself said. Um, Very familiar verses in John's Gospel, chapter 14. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And yet, 
despite this very, very clear statement of Jesus, many people refuse to accept that he is the Son of God. They refuse to accept that he is God himself. They may want to be right with God, but they think they can achieve that on their own terms. They believe that Jesus can be bypassed. And if they believe that, they're actually saying that all the suffering that Jesus endured as he was crucified really counts for nothing. How can anyone say that? How can anyone believe that? Except that Satan sells them the lie. So here's a reminder of the three marks of the genuine child of God which John has given us. There is a change of behaviour and attitude. There's no longer a desire to persist in sin. Secondly, there's an acknowledgement that there are just two kingdoms and all who are not in God's kingdom are in the kingdom ruled by the evil one, Satan. And thirdly, and most importantly, the genuine child of God belongs to Jesus Christ. No one can come to God the Father except through Jesus the Son. I made a comment earlier that it is tragic that so many people choose to worship idols and false gods rather than the true God. I think there's a greater tragedy than that, that so many people believe that they belong to God when they do not. They are not genuine and and sadly they do not realise the lie. If asked, they would say that they follow God and believe that they will inherit the eternal life of which John speaks in verse 20. They believe that they are entitled to that eternal life and that is where the problem lies. Their belief is that they have the capacity to gain an entitlement to eternal life by the way they live. A few weeks ago I had a conversation with someone not in this church about the way of salvation. The person thought it was extraordinary that the good life they had lived and the good life they were living, definitely good by human standards, was not acceptable to God. But that person is typical of millions who believe that they are right with God, who believe that they are part of God's kingdom, rather than the world ruled by Satan. And they are confident that they will be welcomed by Jesus when he returns from heaven to judge us. But it is not true, because they have not come to the cross, they have not come to Jesus. This, to my mind, is the greater tragedy the false believers, either through their ignorance of God's word or their unbelief in God's word. Contrast my conversation with that person with this letter from Colin, not his real name, from prison this week. He writes, he's mid-30s, I feel like my life is over. I've made a right mess of myself 
and my life, and I need God now. I'm putting my trust in him as I'm lost. I've upset my best friends, the, one I, the ones I considered family now hate me. I've been selfish, deceitful, a liar, and hateful. I need help, and only God can do it. I'm truly repentful. We're all lost and in need of God's mercy. Some, like Colin, obviously so. But for most, including the person with whom I spoke a few weeks ago, their need of God's mercy is far less obvious to them and very few realise their need of it. As we uh, draw to close in just a Three or four minutes. Let us look at verse 21. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. On the PowerPoint, I put false gods, have nothing to do with false gods, idols. John contrasts idols with the true God. Throughout his letter, John has warned the believers not to listen to the false teachers, previously part of the church but who were now seeking to convince others that they had received fresh revelation, superior to God's revelation. This warning at the end of the letter is probably a further reference to those false teachers. To have anything to do with their beliefs and practices would be akin to worshipping idols. In verse 18, we saw that Jesus protects believers from the evil one. It's good to have the reminder here that believers also have a responsibility to protect themselves. To what idols and false gods are we exposed in the 21st century? Sadly, false teachers have not gone out of fashion. They probably fall into two camps. Those teachers who deceive by distorting God's word very subtly And perhaps for many of us, if we're um, not wise, we can get caught up in that. And secondly, there are those leaders who identify elements of God's word which they believe must be changed in order to satisfy the demands of progressive thinkers and activists of the 21st century and to ensure their own popularity. And we're all too well aware of what is happening there. A corollary of God being true is that his word is true and it always will be. I began by acknowledging that my age, according to society, makes me vulnerable. But we're all vulnerable to the lies of Satan and of those through whom he works. Let us ask Jesus to protect us and to take measures ourselves to protect ourselves. But thinking more broadly, we must guard against allowing any thinking, anything, or anyone, including Gareth Southgate, if Italy failed to win this evening, who might hinder our worship of God alone. To quote the Bible teacher, David Jackman, anything that squeezes God out of the central position of our lives towards the margin must be ruthlessly toppled.
any notion of God, he says, which contradicts his perfect self-revelation in Jesus Christ must be rejected. I trust that this passage from John's first letter will have assured many of their genuine faith in the true God. I trust it will have given many a greater awareness of their need with Jesus' help to be protected from the evil one and from anyone and anything that would prevent the true God from being at the very centre of our lives and receiving the worship which is rightfully his alone. But these words may have caused some to question whether they truly are a child of God or may have even confirmed to some that they don't have a relationship with the true God. If you are in either of those situations, please do speak to me or to one of the leaders here this morning before you leave. We would love to talk with you or to arrange a time to talk with you later. And if that is the situation for anyone watching the live stream or who views this service later, and who would like to, someone to be in contact, please do get in touch with us via our website or by calling our church office. Let me close in prayer. Almighty God, the only true and living God, the eternal King, there is no one like you. Thank you for revealing yourself to us through your son Jesus. Thank you that his death and resurrection have made it possible for us to be your children and to have that assurance of eternal life. Father, we are sorry when we do not love you and honour you and worship you as we should. Please reveal to us anything which is preventing you from being at the very centre of our lives. And please protect us from every attempt of the evil one to cause us to sin against you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.